Welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I take a back seat to something a little more formal. Every year, the Guelph Chamber of Commerce hosts an event called the State of the City, and like its more famous counterpart south of the border, it's a chance for the head of the city to lay out the challenges and priorities facing the Royal City for the next 12 months. Make no mistake, there are no shortage of challenges going forward, and we're still facing the biggest of those challenges one year later. But as a wise man once said at the beginning of a TV show, in order to unlock the future, you must first find the keys to the past. So this week, we're going to get out those keys from the drawer that they've been hiding in for a year. The state of the city one year ago is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. If you've never been to a state of the city, it goes like this. The doors open up, and you go to your assigned table. You hobnob with other members of the chamber and special guests. I believe they call that networking. And then breakfast is served. Around 8 o'clock, the mayor gets up on stage and makes a speech. During Cam Guthrie's time as mayor, delivering the state of the city, he has usually used some kind of gimmick like a board game or Wordle or a parody of The Office, but in 2023, Cam got very serious. No games, no gimmicks, just straight talk. He said, I need you to listen very carefully to my words today, to watch my demeanor, my body language, and listen to my tone. Well, we watched, but you can probably guess the content before listening to the speech. Last year's State of the City was in the immediate aftermath of the 2022 municipal election and the sweeping changes to planning and budgeting that were announced in Bill 23. It was in the midst of the Greenbelt controversy and a crushing wave of respiratory illness that was putting pressures on our hospital and healthcare systems. One year later, though, there are still a lot of pressures. The government of Ontario is still changing the tune and forcing the cities to play catch-up. Housing prices remain high, low-cost solutions remain in short supply, and the evidence of homelessness and poverty are getting harder and harder to ignore. So what's riding on the 2024 state of the city? Well, about as much as any political speech. But on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast, we're going back to 2023. The voice you'll hear belongs to Mayor Cam Guthrie as he talks about the housing crisis, nimbyism, mental health and addictions, and the lack of provincial help on any of this. He also took questions from people in the audience in a Q&A moderated by Chamber CEO and President Shakiba Shiani, where Guthrie talked about the impact of the housing crisis on students, specifically his work with the Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus and the need for help to clean up brownfields and make them ready for development. In so much as a lot of the changes happen in a yearly basis, it's important to remember that these are long-term issues with no easy and immediate fixes. And even if it seems like the state of the city hasn't changed much, there are still changes all the time. And we will get to those changes later this week. For now, let's go back in time to February 2023 and hear from Mayor Cam Guthrie about the state of the city one year ago. Well, thank you so much. I, uh, I do really appreciate that. I, I, I uh, appreciate you all being here today. Uh, it means a lot. This is uh, a wonderful opportunity to start the day. But I will tell you, about four people already said, can we do this at brunch? 
Now, I have one rule when I'm told I'll be speaking somewhere and then answering questions from the people that have attended. And that rule is very, very simple. I am not to be told in advance what those questions are. And Shakiba Shakiba can attest that and confirm that I have not been given the heads up on any questions at all that has come in, and either from you or on the floor. I will only answer the ones that I like though. That's my other one. <laughs> Anyways, I look forward to that section of uh, the speech today as well. Now I am, excuse me, I am known for giving my State of the City address in a manner that pulls together a, a gimmick or a memorable sort of group project to pull you along during my talks, a spiffy PowerPoint presentation or a table exercise to keep you entertained. But I am not doing that this time. And maybe, but hopefully not, you're not already feeling let down as I'm just starting things off in this way. But I did that on purpose. I need you to listen to my words very carefully today. I need you to watch my demeanor, my body language. I need you to listen to my tone. Because today, I need to tell you straight up what's going on with our city and where I believe we need to go. There are just no gimmicks for the seriousness of the issues I need to address with you today. It's become quiet in here. Good, I got your attention. So let's begin. What are some of the highlights from 2022? The first up is finances. Coming out of the height of the pandemic, the city remained in such good shape, both with reserves, paying down debt, along with proper forecasting of our capital budgets, that these were just some of the reasons that we were awarded a AAA credit rating from Standard & Poor's. And this positions us so very well for borrowing, lowering costs, and more. And this was one of my goals when I first became mayor was to achieve this rating. It is often council or mayor that may try to take full credit, and we have a role, certainly, but the unsung heroes that need to be given clear credit, pun intended, is our city staff. Thank you for your work. Well, thanks. It's a wonderful, wonderful achievement to receive this credit rating. Sure, you can buy for that. Now, I'm often asked about what we're doing to try to find efficiencies and save taxpayer dollars, and we did a lot in 2022. Service reviews, internal audits, work through the Continuous Improvement Office, connections with the Guelph Lab from the University of Guelph on making processes better for our citizen-appointed committees, the provincial grants provided for the audit and accountability funding, which helped us get KPMG to come into City Hall to do a full service rationalization on the services we provide, and that continues to this date. We, might I say, are finally taking these types of service reviews very seriously, looking for efficiencies, ways to do services better, and offer savings to the citizens of Guelph is paying off. A cultural shift is occurring and more noticeable than I've seen in the past. Lean implementation, Six Sigma processes, have now been embedded by many staff to date, with more and more coming on board. We are empowering staff to be on the lookout constantly for doing things better, and I want to give you a couple of examples. 
in parks. Our parks customer service project was led by two members of our park team. And they showed a first call resolution rate increase from 75% to 95%, thereby increasing the service, the service experience to anybody that calls into parks and providing a more centralized location to get answers. Another example, by a project of two of our members from the Economic Development Department, under strengthening partnerships, they wanted to make sure that they improved those partnerships by increasing response times for any external inquiries that come into that department. And that reduced the decision cycle through the work that they did by 86%. This is what the citizens should expect government to be doing with their money and with government's time. These are just two examples, but they never make the headlines. But this is what you need to know. Our internal staff are doing this work. Why? To make your experience better, to save time, and to save your money that you have to earn first before your government takes it. Another key moment this past year was turning underperforming assets into performing assets. Now, eight years ago, after looking into some of the district energy issues that were laid before us, and upon reflection of those assets, we actually sold that project to a company called Cascara, that now has the potential not only of maintaining and operating it, but expanding that district energy system in our downtown core to help with heating and cooling. This will also help in the partnership that we have as goals as a council in the city around all of our environment and climate change goals. We also revamped the operations of the farmer's market. Now we have more scope, more hours at the farmer's market is, is being used. It used to be used for just a handful of hours on a Saturday, and then that's it. This beautiful building that we own was just sitting there, empty, like 95% of the time. But not anymore. We've expanded with a partnership with 10C, downtown, who is now looking at expanded hours, expanded days, and different things that people can do in the farmer's market. Now one that really excites me though of turning an underperforming asset into a performing asset was the city of Guelph handing over the keys to the Delhi building up on Delhi Street that used to be ours, which is now the county's, which is now going to become home to 28 individuals that are in need of supportive housing. Now, although not a direct change in 2022, I did see that Elector was here today and in attendance. I thank you for being here. A few years ago, we turned an underperforming asset, Guelph Hydro, by merging it with Electra, which is with six other municipalities. And that has turned into more dividends every year coming into the city because of those decisions that we made. Turning underperforming assets into performing assets is a key focus of mine for several years. And I'm very thankful that this, these examples, and there's more to come, of turning things into a better use of either resources for the community or finances into the community, into our, into the community as well. We also did a lot of heavy lifting when it came to policy work. We set plans for the city's future with council support for the transportation master plan, the water master plan, the waste master plan. We finalized the comprehensive zoning update for across our, our city to draft form right now about to be looking to be approved in just a couple of months 
It's easy for me to say we did all these things, reaming off these things with 20 seconds on a piece of paper to all of you. But let me tell you, in reality, this is a few years of work before I can say we did this, we did this, we did this, we did that. You also helped in this room, anyone listening online, anyone in the community, with your engagement and feedback for all those works and all those projects that I just uh, told you about. I want to thank everybody for the feedback to get us to those points where we could actually say yes as a council to those master plans. Now our economic development and tourism strategy was also finished in 2022. Speaking specifically to tourism, we introduced what was called the municipal accommodation tax, which we hope will generate between $700 to $800,000 or more each year for tourism activities and promotion of Guelph as a destination. These funds are generated by hotel and other accommodation states within the city. So none of the funds are generated through taxes to our residents or businesses. In fact, the Chamber of Commerce is actually a direct partner in some of these things that we are doing when it comes to the implementation of this tourism program. Speaking of economic development, we of course have our own economic development team, our wonderful staff along with manager John Regan, handling our plans there, but Council just last week also approved uh, a motion from Council O'Rourke, uh, might I add, a budget for funding to now go to business agencies outside of our economic development team. The Chamber of Commerce, the Guelph Wellington Business Enterprise Center, and Innovation Guelph will now be receiving some funds to help with the business incubation within our community and to help businesses not only to succeed but to thrive. Speaking of economic development, my friends from the University of Guelph, they released just recently their economic impact for the city of Guelph. Does anybody know, university people can't answer this question, does anybody know what the direct impact is to our local government from the University of Guelph? Not to the government, to the city. It's two billion a year. Two billion in direct impacts for our economy. They are a force that we cannot ignore in our city, and we thank them for their partnership. I want to say, there's a lot of times when I'm doing, you know, the little, hey, I want to come and set up a business in Guelph thing with people, and more often than not, those businesses that are coming to our city, they often reflect on the fact that we have a university in our city as to why they want to come here. Uh, the partnerships with them are, are, are massive. Thank you very much. I'd also like to highlight some transit initiatives that we did in 2022. The first was the Kids Ride Free pilot program that saw, and this is 12 and under, by the way. Yeah, so you, you know, you're 70 year old, think you're a kid, you're not getting free transit. Just the 12 and under. Yeah. The first was the Kids Ride Free program, and by September last year, 490 fare cards for them were issued. Over 10,000 boardings as well. It's projected to have a 12-month impact of 625 fare cards issued and over 25,000 boardings for kids riding free under 12. We also piloted a new affordable bus pass, especially for those in greatest need in our city. Depending on the criteria that's reached by those individuals, they would pay as little as only $4 a month for transit to get around our city. And that showed huge success. 700 passes increase. We're going to be probably having about 1,500 of those passes actually done by the end of the year. 
And these programs were such a huge success. I think Councillor Bauer, I believe, brought some motions to Council last week at, uh, at budget. And those two programs are now permanent. They're no longer pilot programs. They are permanent for people within the city of Guelph. I think those are wonderful transit additions. Now last year, Council, in July, endorsed the formation of a downtown advisory group, a strategic advisory group. And I want to thank Council for endorsing that. I really do appreciate that. And it released a plan of action that is focused on immediate, medium, and sort of long-term action plans for the vision of the downtown, which is one, everybody feels safe and everyone feels like they belong. Two, the area is prosperous, activated, and welcoming. And three, effective health and social service uh, services are delivered. Under these three po uh, points, we focus on accelerating permanent supportive housing, enhancing daytime and overnight services and facilities to enhance safety, both perceived and real. Medium goals are to focus on service design changes, especially for those with acute needs, and strengthen the resilience and the prevention issues that we're seeing. And lastly, long term, we need full policy change, and a lot of that will have to come from the provincial government, especially around homelessness, addictions, and mental health. Now, I want to make a statement about these issues in general. We are a caring community. You don't even need the mayor to say that out loud. We are a caring community. And the public space is a public space for all. However, our downtown cannot and should not be overrun with behaviors that are unacceptable to the flourishing of the public spaces in our downtown core. Spaces for business, for tourism, visitors, and anyone that wants to come to our downtown. We must take these issues seriously, and the city must know that I take them seriously. Now, 2022 also brought in a third year in the row of a reduction in our crime in a severity index. With a high in 2018, I made it a priority in my re-election campaign at that time to make sure that we resource things to make our community safer. That doesn't include only police. It includes social service issues as well, and even the use of technology. From a technology point of view, we installed six red light cameras across the city. How many people have gotten that in the mail yet today? <laughs> oh yeah, sure, there's some of you not putting up your hand for sure. Yeah. The police now have an easy to use program, speaking of tech, where you can actually upload your video from your home or your business if there's issues that you need to make sure that the police are aware of to speed up sort of investigative matters. We also approved as a council vision zero to make sure that we are protecting people, not just in cars, but people that are choosing to ride bicycles for transportation, pedestrians in our city. Vision Zero focuses us on those goals. Speed enforcement cameras are going to be arriving soon, so watch it. <laughs> our Guelph Wellbeing Grants, Community Wellbeing Grants, they were introduced, and, sorry, increased, not introduced, but increased a little bit over the last couple of years, especially with COVID impacts. Those made a big difference with neighborhood groups and others in our community with local programs. All of these things contribute to a safer and stronger city. As the chief has rightly said many times, we cannot arrest our way only out of these problems. 
the chief is right when he says that. We must take uh, advantage of technology, social issues, and enforcement working hand in hand together to tackle these issues. We also took a lot of steps in regards to energy and climate change initiatives. We have what's now what was called the PACE program. It's now we're not gonna call it from a marketing term, by the way, whoever came up with this gold star, well done. The Greener Homes Policy, uh, that's way better than PACE program, so thank you, the Greener Homes. Council approved that go ahead in 2022. It's now almost ready to be launched and getting ready for this spring. This is a great financial support for Gulf residents to help reduce their greenhouse gas emissions at home. Basically, what you're gonna be able to do is if you have a home that you know meets some criteria uh, and you wanna look at doing upgrades to your home to try to make it more environmentally uh, sound, help with your energy costs, there is actually uh, an availability of some uh, money that came through the Green Municipal Fund from the Federation of the Canadian Municipalities from the federal government, follow the bouncing ball there, and it will actually help you to actually do some renovation construction work and upgrades to your home where you can realize the savings right away, the energy savings right away because of those upgrades, but you get to actually look to pay it back actually through your property taxes, okay? So it's a very interesting program. So as that, as that comes online, please check it out to see if you might qualify or tell others, because the more people we can get to do those things, the better we can do in reducing our energy and helping with climate change in our community. Also, our transit fleet is starting to be electrified. How many saw everything about there a couple days ago with the new electric bus we got? Anybody see that? Only my wife. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so yeah, that is our first. I think we've got three more coming in the next few weeks, I believe. So we'll have four, but the, obviously with life cycle replacement over the years, we are going to be changing those into the EV buses. And uh, they're wonderful. Did you know each bus, each bus alone, will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 90 tons of carbon dioxide emissions per year. 90 tons. Another example is at the West End Center, we actually replaced all of the HVAC system, and I, I wanna thank all the citizens of Gulf for their patience with that, because there was a lot of them that needed to be replaced. But we've replaced them with heat pumps, and it's better air service and air quality and energy savings there as well. So as we look to do life cycle replacement, whether it's transportation, whether it's buildings, we are making sure that we're looking at through the climate change lens to make sure that we're doing things in the right way. It's better for our environment, and guess what everyone, it's always usually better for your pocketbook too. So these are good investments to make. Now finally for this kind of 2022 update section, I just want to give you a lot of stats, kind of throw some numbers at you. I, I thought these were really interesting, I'm, I'm sure this room will, will as well. This has to do with economic development. So as of December 2022, the labor force participation rate in Guelph was 69.5%, which is higher than both the national and the provincial average by about 5%. So Guelph's participation rate is one of the best. The unemployment rate is second lowest in the province right now at 4.3%, which is lower than the national average of 5.1%. And in 2022, we welcomed millions and millions of dollars of new investment uh, in our, sorry, in 2022, millions of dollars of investment into our city. Just three of those investments alone totaled over $200 million with the creation of 200 jobs. Just three, is way more. So we are still a city to be sought after 
where people want to come here. They know that the skilled labor is here, that our, our city is there for them, to welcome them with open arms, and we are there to make sure that they succeed as well for new businesses coming this way. In regards to building permits, we had 1,183 new units issued. That's up from 847 units the year before. This is just a highlight of some of the things we accomplished in 2022. Uh, I know it doesn't capture everything. I know I'd be here for hours if I tried to do that, and I know nobody wants that. Um, we did all this at the beginning of 2022, still in lockdown. Remember that? Like the beginning of 22, we were still really in the height of the pandemic. We also accomplished this with uh, an election in the fall that really took two or three months kind of out of some of the, the work that was going on. We really buckled down and we did really good work. So this brings me to the moment in the speech that I warned you about at the beginning. I wanted you to hear my words, my tone. I want to portray to you the seriousness of the issues facing us in 2023 and more than likely throughout the this entire term. I need the community to know what's keeping me up at night and the mindset I believe we should embrace to tackle these issues. So here we go. The provincial legislation changes dropped on cities the day after our own election will have major ramifications on how we handle the housing crisis. Listen carefully. The housing crisis is real. And it's been coming for a few years now. But now it's smacking us in the face and in our wallets big time. Council must come together and we are, and we will, around what we can to help get more housing built. And that means all types, supportive, affordable, social, nonprofit, rental, market, uh, market ownership, and so on. It has to happen, and it has to happen quickly. <coughs> but the quickly part rests on a number of players and a number of layers. The city is one of those players. The development community is another one of those players. But this is a three-person player problem. The third player is the existing community. So developers, they've got to have their applications full, complete, and ready for that stamp of approval from either staff or council if necessary. And developers have to commit put shovels in the ground as quickly as the approvals come. The community must stop being NIMBY. Not in my backyard. Must stop. Hear me, citizens of Guelph. More often than not, it is the same recipe of complaints that come from every neighborhood. Not every development is going to destroy the value of your home, cause accidents, and kill or injure children or animals in your roadway. Not every development is going to have parking issues or design elements that you don't like. We are in a housing crisis, and you and me, and probably everybody in this room, is very comfortably housed right now. It is time to embrace different housing types for different people because communities are made of differences. It's time to embrace Yimby, yes, in my backyard. And you play a pivotal role in getting housing built, 
welcome it where possible. Write letters or delegate in favor to council saying you want these developments because you want to welcome new neighbors to your area and create new friendships. Oh, and by the way, the new developments that come to your area, they help pay for the things that you want in our community too. So if you don't like property taxes going up, you should start getting behind new developments in our community. But then there's the city. We as a player as well. We can be gatekeepers, and we have been gatekeepers. But I'm pleased to see another cultural shift being led by the executive team, and specifically Crystal Walkie, our general manager in the planning department. Council just approved more funding for more staff in this department. We're investing in technology to streamline processes and get things done faster. But council, council can be a gatekeeper too. It's happened in the past, but so far, early in this term, I have seen no gatekeeping from this council. We must all play together with all of our roles. We cannot, in a community, accept $1,000 a month room rentals for students. And we must no longer accept $2,000 or more a month for a one-bedroom apartment in this community. We must accept supportive housing for individuals in all areas of our community. We have to pledge to the provincial government an agreement of 18,000 new housing units by 2031, about 2,000 more a year. Let us unite and say no more to delays, no more gatekeeping, and no more NIMBY. We must get housing built. The second issue at hand relates to two significant projects heading our way. The South End Recreational Center and the Baker Street Redevelopment, which includes the new library. Now, almost two years ago, my campaign manager actually died suddenly, and I miss him greatly. His wife contacted me soon after, after going through some of the items that were left behind, and asked if I wanted to come and get them from the house because they had sort of a connection with me. So I went over and grabbed the box of stuff and came back to the house. And in his collection was some important front page headlines from our city's original print edition paper, the Gulf Mercury. And I took a picture of two of the headlines. Now these are the only two PowerPoint slides I'm gonna to show to you today, okay? The first one is that one. Look what it says. It's from May 2014, and council's being asked for 59 million for the South End Rec Center. Last year, the lowest bid came in at 121 million. Next month, an updated report on the scoping of this project and, and the costs will come to city council. But then, we have this headline. This is from June 2014, and council's being asked for $43 million for the Baker Street redevelopment. It's more than likely triple that cost now. I wanted to show you this because I need to make it very clear. Delays cost money. Actually, I'm saying that wrong. Delays cost you money. Whether you voted for these projects or not, they're approved projects. 
And we must do what we can to get them done. If we don't, I'll be showing you headlines in eight years with an out-of-date cost from 2023, and everyone will be wondering why we just didn't get them done in the first place. I want to specifically ask the business community to help if they can with these projects, because there's opportunities for you in these projects. But more specifically with the downtown library, there are sponsorship opportunities coming up. Perhaps naming rights, room naming rights, equipment, other things that you may be able to individually or as businesses and corporations look to sponsor with these types of events. I'm sorry, on events with these projects. Certainly will be an event when we cut the road. Now I'm on my second last point in this section, folks, and this has to do with affordability. Affordability will ultimately be determined by the strategic plan that this new term of council will endorse. The endorsed plan then gets implemented over a multi-year budget, which is more than likely going to be by four years. This is a change in our processes revolving what used to be just yearly budgets. Now we're going to be moving to more predictability with multi-year budgets for the community and their work plans from staff. And that will determine the strategies moving into the implementation of the multi-year budget to what gets accomplished over the four-year time. So hear me out both. If you want to make an impact on what you should expect from our city, from your council, then you need to engage with us over the next few months as we develop the strategic plan. Let us know what you want your city to be like, but also what you think is affordable. Council plans to endorse the strategic plan in July. So this is your heads up. Decisions have consequences, and especially for your wallet. So speak up, folks. This is the time to tell us what you want. And lastly, I need you to understand the impacts of homelessness, mental health, and addictions, and the crisis that that's having in our community. You want tone? Here it is. People are dying. People are dying in our community from these issues. Families are being torn apart. Businesses are suffering from these impacts as well. And I acknowledge fully that upper levels of government have many of the solutions we need, especially the provincial government. So I need you to help me we need to rise together as a community to tell them that what people are going through is unacceptable. That we need funding urgently, or it's going to get worse, a lot worse. The Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus, in which I was the chair last year, made a unanimous call for an emergency meeting on these issues. It's now eight months later. No meeting. Frustrated is an understatement. Council will certainly help where we can. I know it's of importance to them as well, but healthcare is a provincial jurisdiction. We need to hold them to account just as you would hold me to account for the things that are under my jurisdiction. So I hope you got a snapshot of just a few of the things that occurred in 2022 with that quick update. And then kind of give you maybe a bit more of a serious update on some of the things we're tackling in 2023. Before I take questions, however, I want to leave you with the, don't want to leave you with the impression that the things I just discussed, especially around 2023, are all negative. It's the lens on which we look through that is so very important. For me, 
I am not going to waste my time playing the victim card on provincial housing issues. I'll point it out where I need to, and I'll stand up when I have to. But I'd much rather spend my time thinking about how we can get more housing built faster, reducing red tape, and making things easier for people to deal with City Hall on housing. I'd much rather our energy be put into becoming the best and most affordable city to find a place to live. That's a vision I'd like to embrace and have come to fruition. I'd like to put my energy into finding out how to get the South Bend Rec Center and the Baker Street Project done with the least amount of financial impacts as possible for our community. I'd like to concentrate on a strategic plan that people and businesses are proud of, but that's affordable. And I want to celebrate when an individual receives the mental health care they need or the thrill of that new supportive housing room with counseling for the addictions they're going through. The seriousness of these issues doesn't mean that we wallow in them. It means we tackle them together with positivity, kindness, partnerships, and exciting solutions I know are coming. The seriousness of these issues can't be lost, but I know as a community we can do, do uh, get to, to tackle them and get to the solutions together. Thank you everyone for joining me today and I look forward to taking questions from you. Thank you so much. Doing it a little bit differently this time, uh, giving a lot more time to Q&A. Thank you so much for uh, the, the retrospective and the future forward-looking uh, presentation you've provided, uh, Cam. I know everyone appreciates it. We collected uh, over a dozen really good questions from uh, members. Uh, I want to ask a few of them. I'm going to take the opportunity to start us off with a few questions. And then I really welcome uh, folks in the room to put up your hands and uh, ask the question directly to our mayor. So let me just kick us off. Maybe with a question, just kind of broadly speaking, You've, you know, there's a lot of important work that you are talking about needing to get done. What do you think it's going to take for you, the council, and for the municipality to, to be successful? Well, I would say two things. I think if we can really rally around that strategic plan that we're uh, looking to tackle over the next few months, and we can have a unanimous decision of council to actually agree, that's important, unanimous is important, to, to try to uh, agree to that strategic plan. That then sets the stage for four years because it enables us to say, this is what we're doing and this is what we're not doing. So I think the strategic plan is one thing, but I would say the second thing to that is, where can we find partnerships outside of the city to help us implement that, city, that, that strategic plan? Because government can't do it all. And so is there, is there businesses, is there stakeholders, is there other groups, individuals in the city that can actually help us achieve that strategic plan? Um, I think those, those two things together will make, uh, in four years, we'll look back and see that it was a success. Thank you. Now you're talking about the strategic plan and you mentioned how important it is for folks in the room and community at large to be engaged in that. So I'm gonna ask you a community engagement question that we received. Okay. Some people feel disengaged and a little skeptical about the effectiveness of why, when, and how the city engages with different community stakeholders when making important decisions. There is currently an opportunity to provide the city with ideas on how to improve this relationship. 
Can you tell us what you believe should be considered to improve the community-municipality relationship? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I, you know what, we're actually embarking on update on our engagement processes at City Hall, and uh, I think it really deserves that. One, because I think we could embrace other opportunities like technology and other options like that to embrace for better engagement. But I also think it gives us a good idea of, uh, you know, to be able to determine what has not been working, where are we missing some gaps to be able to fill some of that engagement opportunities. I think where we also are doing better, but we haven't in the past, is also with um, underrepresented groups in the city as well. Um, I think we are now being more proactive and going out to groups instead of just saying, well, we put a, an advertisement online, or didn't you know a council meeting was happening next week? So instead of having the community have to try to come to us, we're trying to be more proactive to go to them, especially to unrepresented people and groups within the city, because their feedback is just as important as well. I think the last thing I would suggest is where there is suggestions that come into the city of Guelph from whoever, I think maybe we need to do a better job of explaining the answer as to why we might not be able to do something or why we are. I think if that void is not there, if it's there, then people feel like their suggestions just weren't heard. They very well could have been heard when we decided not to do something or do something differently, but we're not, we're not giving that answer back to them, so they feel like they're not involved. So I think um, I would encourage everyone, just as I said in my speech, to be a part of the strategic plan, but to be a part of like, everything, and to keep us account, especially with the follow-up part. Super, thank you. So just a couple weeks ago, you approved your, um, your confirmed the 2023 budget. Yep. Um, many folks were there <coughs> delegating. Uh, one uh, question that we received around um, taxes was that the city is on track to have a, quite a healthy surplus in reserves. Mm -hmm. And curious why more of those funds were not utilized when the residential tax levy continues to grow. Yeah, that's a fair question too. I think from a numbers point of view, we're looking, it's gonna be confirmed in a few months, but we're probably looking at an almost $9 million surplus um, from just last year. Um, one of the things that I will say is that for many years, actually, I think it's been about seven years or more, we've been having surpluses. Not as high as that one, but we've been having some surpluses. Uh, some of the surplus actually was used towards, uh, towards uh, uh, sorry, not surplus, some of our reserves, where our surplus goes into, was used to try to soften the blow of the, of the overall increase in the budget. Um, some of the projects that we have, especially around corporate asset management, the corporate asset management is like the stuff that just needs to get done all the time in the city, like the roads and the bridges and the potholes and the pipes in the ground, the assets that we need to make sure that we're taking care of. Some of those things need, uh, need to have more funding. So I do know that most of the time when there is any type of surpluses, we need to make sure we're moving a large portion of that into those projects. The things that often we get complaints about, why is this road not, you know, <laughs> been, been, been re redone, things like that. So those, those projects need to be funded, and especially with the inflation issues that we are having in the community, it's hit your businesses, it's hit you in your own personal pocketbook, it affects the city as well, and so we need to make sure that we're being financially responsible to have those funds available for all those impacts of inflation that are happening with the infrastructure work that we have to do. So there is some use uh, by reserves, which is usually funded a lot by, uh, by surpluses, uh, to try to keep things balanced. 
but in an unknown sort of area that we're in right now with inflationary pressures, I think it's prudent to make sure we have that money uh, available. If we don't use that money, we can maybe think about using it in a different way another time, but it certainly would be terrible to use it all and lower it a little bit and then hit you even harder the next year and the next year and the next year. I'm gonna pause and just see if anyone in the room has a question to ask. I've got many more, but a question at the very back. Hi, yeah. um, first of all, I do want to acknowledge the follow vote on Steve's Steve brunch. I think we're all But my question is we're talking a lot about um, the upcoming strategic plan, and I know that the city is phenomenal at um, advocating and embedding the social good sector into um, Thank you for the question. So for anyone that did hear, it was like during strategic plan, is there an opportunity for sort of the social good, you know, stakeholders and agencies in the community to also make sure that that voice is embedded as we go forward? Well, guess what? You just got it embedded. There you go, you just did, did a good job. Um, I would just uh, say that uh, our engagement staff and our executive team is here. They've heard that. Many of the counselors are here. We heard that. So that will probably have to be uh, one of the pillars that we have in our strategic plan moving forward. It does already kind of fit in one of our strategic plans. We're actually calling this a refresh. We're not completely tearing the whole house down. Uh, so it's a refresh of the, the pillars of our strategic plan. And yeah, that's going to have to be a part of it. If I went back, if I just wish I can go back to the first question I answered. I said the strategic plan, but it's also going to need partners, the social good partners such as yourself and others that are in this room. Um, we, we definitely need to figure out how can you be involved to make our strategic plan good for the whole city, which you're already doing, but maybe it needs to have more of a focus on it. I appreciate you asking it. Great question, Emma. Thank you. Any others? supply so that it creates more choice so that there's competition and then hopefully the rents and then will go down now we as a council and a city we need to start making sure that we say yes to especially student purpose-built type of projects that would be my opinion 
Um, but I do know that the University of Guelph, I don't want to speak for them, but they're, they've also got housing plans in the works as well. And they're, 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 they have a role to play as well. And so it's not just on the city, it's also on the university as well to help with that. And we have a great partnership with them to be able to look at that. I would also say, if there are landlords here, that it would be very nice to actually hear about a student's struggles just like we just did. This is very real. And the struggle isn't just for them, but it's for often parents that are trying to figure out how to pay for their kids to be able to go and get the, the university education or college education that they're looking for. And if there is ways that you can help landlords and not having to have that price go up, please do it. Yeah, I, think, I think it would be an honorable thing to do if you can. But really, I come back to my first answer. We need more supply. Great question, Lateef, thank you. I'm gonna push you a little bit on, on that one, okay. um, Mayor Cam, and say, what, how are you uh, encouraging and you know, uh, promoting the development of housing, the, uh, the, our aims at you know, meeting these new targets that we are responsible for? You're talking about supply. We've got our friends at Fusion in the room who are looking to build um, what what's the vision on, on how to actually get this done as, as it relates to you know your seat at council and, and with your fellow councillors? How are we going to get this done? Yeah, so I think that's, that is a very, very good question. So a lot of what I think needs to happen is really rallying around a combined plan of agreement of council, staff, and the development community. I think it's like a three-legged stool. And I think if one of them is not there, it's gonna fall over. So I think there has to be equal and shared leadership across all of us. And I think we can do it. So as an example, I said this in my speech, we do have to make a pledge. The province is requiring us to make a pledge by law, by March, for 18,000 new units by 2031. That's like 2,000 a year. So we need to make sure that when we do that pledge, which is going to be coming to council this month, um, we need to make sure that we actually abide by it and hold ourselves to account for that. At the same time, a partnership with the development community on how they can get those shovels in the ground because we can only approve. We don't build. <coughs> we approve, we don't build. So we need to make sure that they can do that as well. We have to get it. It, it is a crisis. Like I, I don't know why I don't know why I continue to hear some people say that it's not a big deal. It, it's so frustrating to me. The student that just stood up here. Did you see the picture that went viral around our city a couple weeks ago? It was about 50 kids deep at one house trying to get a room. Like it is it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable in this city to have this type of a housing crisis. So we need to probably have some uncomfortable conversations where we agree to say we've just got to say yes to the things that are going to work and we've got to move faster and in fact i know engagement is important to this community i'm not saying we should ever skip um, the necessary steps of engagement but if we have ways of getting things to approval faster and we can still accommodate the legislative requirements that are needed we need to we need to do those things Finally, I would say this, if we can delegate, if council can delegate authority to staff to be able to say yes to things without it having to come to council, 
I think we should embrace as much of that as we possibly can. Scott Stewart, you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> Any other questions from the room? about 250 to 300 basement apartments a year a year in this city we're one of the top in Ontario and it doesn't even have to come to council at all so from a perspective of can we be more helpful I don't know how much more helpful we can be it doesn't have to come to council and we're doing 250 to 300 of them a year now some of them that are not registered apartments there's a reason for that and that's health and safety of the tenants that are going to be living in there. We have a regulatory role to play to make sure that they are safe and done in a proper way so that we're making sure that people you know, have a place that's lived and comfortable for them, but safe. And then I would say that our draft zoning bylaw that came last year is going to be automatically doing what the province is wanting us to do now, which is three units. Now, I suggested four. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge to my council colleagues. Okay, yeah, thank you for popping. Um, so I believe uh, the fact that you can have a unit as like an upstairs, you can have a basement apartment as a second unit, okay? Then you can have like a tiny home in your backyard. In 2022, we had I think between six to 10 starts of permits on tiny homes in the backyard now. So those are all coming online and they are as of right they don't have to come to council. So when it comes to these types of opportunities for your existing home and existing neighborhoods, where you're right, where the existing infrastructure is, we're, we are already hands off. And we, I know our staff are doing their very best. Um, when it comes to the money that I talked about in my speech, that went to the building department. I know that's not just for planners and such, it will also be for inspectors and other things to try to make those things, those processes go faster too. Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Thanks, Corey. But you are right. Building an infill, wait, the infrastructure is already there, absolutely. And I think we hear loud and clear what you're also saying about the experience and the culture and the engagement of getting this done and how that needs to continue to improve. And I think we've heard loud and clear that the city is doing that work to, to learn more about what that needs to look and feel like. Um, but so, so thank you for the question and the comment. Any other questions from the floor? Susan? Oh, and Marvel. Uh, yep, Susan. Um, I have a question. So for at least 20 years, the city have successfully been able to aid in uh, downtown development or development in, um, in, our, in our port uh, through Brownfield grants. Mm -hmm. uh, with downtown being one of our biggest issues and housing being another issue, how is the city going to support, continue to support infill developments um, or development in the downtown if there are no more Brownfield grants? Yeah, thank you. So two, two, two answers on that. Uh, the first one is, and I'm looking at my friends down below here. Yeah, it is, it is crazy to me, especially that the provincial government does not give grants to cities with brownfields to clean up. So we're in a housing crisis. Cities usually have land that is brownfield that, can't, that needs to be cleaned up but they are millions and millions of dollars. If the province wants to get housing built near infrastructure that's already existing, give us the money to clean up the land, you win everywhere on that. You get a brownfield that is no longer an environmental problem and that's cleaned up. You get housing for people to live and it's in the, in, in, around the amenities that already exist for a community. It's perfect. So we have to continue to advocate for that type of stuff from upper levels of government. That's number one. Number two, this is where I might need to get a little bit of a nod from staff. I believe we are we are looking at resurrecting some of the grants. Yes, I'm right. At some of those grants. So that, 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 that report will be coming, I'm sure, to, to council. And again, your feedback on something like that would be very helpful. Because yes, they work for sure. Whereas site is a problem, and we need to give incentives to have those sites turned into an underperforming asset, turning into a performing asset. I'm all for that, and so we need to figure out how we can how we can do that. But it's not; it shouldn't just be on the city, though. Upper levels of government have a role to play as well. Thank you, Marva. Uh, good morning, Mayor Guthrie. I just want to say excellent speech. Um, I want to say that to start. Thank you. Question and I have a comment and maybe a plug. <laughs> okay, do you want to come up here? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Uh, I certainly would like to plug uh, the community plan in this room mm -hmm. and the community plan that is uh, the city has undertaken to support a lot of the work that we need to do as a community to maintain a caring community, to enhance a caring community. And I think work that can underpin how we relate to each other in some of these more difficult issues that we're talking about that you share, mm, yeah. whether it is the unhoused or whether we're talking about transportation issues or even some of the tax issues, or the NIMBY issue, mm. or YIMBY, that you have coined that phrase right now. 
and the plan is intended for us to really recognize that our demographics is shifting and we need to find a place of belonging for every single person that comes into Guelph, that calls Guelph home, whether you're born here or you, you're a new immigrant or you're moving from another municipality to the city of Guelph. And so I just encourage folks to go to have your say and wanted to know if the mayor can comment on that and how that relates to the strategic plan yeah. ever so briefly. Thank you. No, Marva, thank you. Marva is absolutely right. In fact, uh, we have sort of a structure or a flow chart, if you could say, in regards to the strategic plan. But what's above the strategic plan is the community plan. That is the thing that underpins or starts everything that we have for our strategic plan in the city of Guelph, exactly as Marva just described. And so um, you're, you're right, go and check that out. That was about almost two years of engagement. I think there was over 10, 11,000 engagement opportunities with the city that informed what our community plan is, what our community is looking for. But it is a living and breathing document. In fact, it's the document that council never approved. Why? Because on purpose, because it's not ours, it's the community's. We received it, but we never approved it because it's a living document that can be changed. And it has been changed already. It was done four years ago or so. It's already been changed a few times in between to, to react to the things that our community needs. And so Marvin is absolutely right. You, if you want to help engage with the strategic plan, you almost got to start with the community plan first and get your grounding in that to inform the strategic plan as we move forward. Absolutely. And can I just say one more thing? Sorry, you made such a good point about like immigration, uh, refugees that are coming to our community. And I, I just want to tie that in for a second to housing. Because one of, the, one of the concerns myself and other mayors have across the province from our own local plans is we're not we're not diversifying our housing units as much as what I think we need to be doing. What we're in some cases saying, not on purpose, is welcome to Canada, welcome to Ontario, welcome to Guelph with you and your family. Um, go live in this uh, tiny house in the backyard. That's not right. <coughs> we need to diversify our units, not just for immigration and refugee situations, but for everyone. We can't have the 18,000 unit count that we got a pledge to the government with basement apartments and tiny homes. We have to have the proper mix, especially for families and growing families. Why? If we don't do that, they're going to go. They're going to leave. And then we'll lose that skill set that we need in our community. So as we develop the housing plans that we need in the city, it's got to be right for the diversification of the types of unit sizes that we need in our community. Sorry. Hello, Mr. Mayor. I'm Zoe Ross with the Exhibitionist, Guelph Art and Culture Magazine. I appreciate the, the depth of talking about uh, the wide range of needs in the city, including housing presence, and I really uh, I admire the speech that you gave today. My question for you is could you comment on the intersection of economic development? art and culture scene mm -hmm. in this wonderful city that I think is the soul of city and the reason why people want to live here, one of the many reasons why people want to live here. And how do you see that moving forward through time? I know you saw yourself, you're investing in the arts in many ways. Could you elaborate on what that future for our city looks like? Oh, thank you for asking that. 
I am excited to answer that one. Because I want to have a drum festival. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why is there only one person here? Um, free earplugs. Anyways, mine went there already. So we, uh, for several years, we've been kind of toying around the edges of like, what is Guelph really good at, especially when it comes to tourism? And it has been very clearly determined. Sports, sports tourism, and arts, festivals, culture, that, okay, those are, those are, those are it. And that, and with the new map tax that we have, with that $700,000 to $800,000 coming in, that can start to go exactly towards the types of things that you just discussed. But also, we received a grant just recently to help us really define both the sports and cultural um, sort of trajectory that our city is gonna be on. And I believe that report's gonna be coming soon-ish, okay? So that's coming this year as well in 2023. And so that's an opportunity for us to really make sure that we're embracing exactly what you just said, the arts and culture aspect of our community. Because you're right, a lot of people do come to this community um, for, for that. Uh, and they stay, or they come and they, and they visit as well. Uh, I would also just say, I mean, a little bit of a plug, but uh, previous uh, counselor, uh, James Gordon and myself, um, we really made it a, a, a big deal about trying to become a Music City Canada, sort of Music City type of engaged community where we are really trying to embrace that within our community. And that was, that was acknowledged by staff as a takeaway through the cultural and uh, updated um, sports tourism discussions that are happening at the table right now. So uh, expect some probably good news in the future for that, for sure. Good question, thank you. question kind of was, hey, if you're going to make some drastic changes to deal with the crisis that we have, can you just kind of go along with the same old, same old status quo, a little type around the edges, refresh? Why aren't you making some drastic changes? That's totally a fair question. Actually, I actually appreciate you bringing that up. So I'll, I'll tell you right now, I'm not for drastic changes. But the drastic changes can still be housed within the existing pillars of our strategic plan. Okay, so I think that's what I meant by refresh. So there are probably some areas, I think I gave the example of we're not tearing the whole house down to try to rebuild. Oh, there are some areas where I would love to tear some stuff down. Give me the sledgehammer, for sure. Okay, but it will take all of council to agree with that. So we're gonna have to see if council agrees with where we actually renovate that strategic plan. 
And I think I gave some examples as an idea. What can council get out of where it's delegated authority to staff that they can just go ahead so we can get more housing built as an example? And that's, that is a, that's a pretty tearing down moment right there. But how comfortable is our community gonna be with that? How comfortable is council gonna be with that? I know I'm comfortable with it because I trust staff. I trust them. If we give them the parameters around our delegated authority, they should be able to just go ahead and get stuff done. So I think there are some elements you are right to raise it where we do need the sledgehammer to come out and change some things. I will say that our KPIs are now being uh, put online publicly for everyone to see. That's a kind of a new cultural shift over the last couple of years. So we can be held to more account around the things that we're promising to try to do. I think especially with housing, the 18,000 pledge that's coming forward, there's gonna be accountability built into that for sure. So there is ways I think of making us being held to that account um, without having to tear everything down, but yes, certain areas I think we should tear down, 100%. Thank you, good question. Um, I'm gonna move us a little bit to, we talked a little bit about housing and, and residential land. Sure. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the city or what your vision is in adjusting to the future of work mm. and meeting business needs as it relates to employment lands and commercial development? Yeah, so that's, that's really come in the last few years, eh? Hybrid workplaces and uh, people were in lots of, lots of policy changes, not just in government, but in private sector as well, about work from home. And, and I think um, that is going to translate into conversations around different types of zoning within the city where that is allowed. I think it's going to be, not allowed, but make it easier, if I should say it that way. Um, even parking requirements, should they be as high as they need to be for certain uh, certain things to function as much as they need to be, because now people might be working from home. I am concerned a little bit with the downtown core, especially if I could say that, um, how so many people are not working there, that sometimes the economic development and vitality of our downtown is so important, but with so many people not working in the downtown anymore, at office centers and things like that, but those little shops, Mo the hot dog guy, you know, <laughs> isn't getting as much uh, 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 sales, right? So I'm concerned about those things, but I think it really is an opportunity for us to make sure from a zoning perspective. I'll give you an example, actually. Uh, um, during the draft uh, zoning uh, bylaw, update that we got last year, uh, I made it a point to say in tiny homes, why can't somebody have a small based business to a certain criteria, to, to a certain degree, that they can actually do that out of their tiny home? Why should we should be encouraging more people to be able to do that type of work from the place where they live? And so it, 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 there's, there's, this is a multifaceted sort of answer, but um, we need to start thinking about sort of the new way people are doing work and government being more of a coach and not a referee on this type of stuff. And trust the community to do the things that they that they need to do to get their business and their work-life balance done properly. Great. Any final questions from the floor? Just one here. This might be a difficult question to answer. Oh good, say the difficult one to last. <laughs> Politics can be very divisive. Um, mm. how is it that you Yeah, so the question was how, how do I get council to work together in the decision making? So here's the reality. The reality is like 98% of the time, 
they're unanimous votes. It, seriously, they are. It's like 2%. It's usually having to do with money, <laughs> okay? Have to do with, you know, how much a project's gonna cost or how much a budget is gonna be. But most of the time, we are very aligned on the, on the goals that we're trying to do. And here's the other part I would say, is that, and I've had to learn this. I'll put my hand up first, okay? I've had to learn this over the years. Once a vote is done, just let it go. Just let it go, because guess what? There's a hundred more things we gotta tackle. So if you're on the winning side or the losing side, you just gotta, you gotta kind of mature up a little bit and let it go, because there's another problem tomorrow. And we gotta try to help the community with whatever that problem is. Um, speaking in advance together, which I think we've been doing very well, especially this term, I would say. Um, I, I, my opinion is this term is speaking very well in advance to decisions. We're hearing each other out and we're compromising where need be. I mean, that's what the community wants too, right? I mean, the community wants to see that in the leadership that they've elected to bring to, to City Hall. So I, I, tr I try to portray that. I, I hope my councilmates would say, yeah, he was maybe a little bit of an idiot a few years ago, but he's a little bit better now, you know? So, Kathy's, thank, thank you, Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> Council, we're down to Ward 5, everybody. Okay. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, I think, I think that, that tone starts from the top. Tone starts from the top, and I hope that I portray that with my council colleagues. I hope I do. If I don't, I hope they tell me, respectfully, and not on social media. <laughs> that was an excellent question. Thank you. I, you're right. I think as a community, we count on our leaders to build consensus, to be engaged and authentic in their decision making, and um, work for uh, the greatest good for all of us. So thank you so much, oh, Camille, for your you. time. Yeah. For these questions. Thank you yeah. uh, to everyone. Um, I really appreciate it. I'm going to welcome our yeah. uh, closing um, presentation. Um, but again, big thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks everyone. Really appreciate it. And once again, that was the State of the City one year ago. As for this year's State of the City, it is Thursday, February the 8th at 7 a.m. at the Delta Hotel and Conference Center in Guelph. The event is sold out, but you will be able to see full coverage on Guelph Politico on Thursday morning. And that is it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram, or you can send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we'll have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week. And until then, we'll see you next time.